official sliding on the instrumental Nordic combos twist your mental life forbidden peace to the public and power to the people what up we're up uh seven five man that's crazy Yup, 75 episodes. It's been an honor, man. It continues to be an honor to to, to join y'all, to welcome y'all to this space where the vulnerable are powerful and where the most gangster thing you could do is serve. This is the All The Way Live podcast. Like my brother Miles Xavier has said, this is indeed the All The Way Live podcast. I'm your co-host, Welike, joined by my brother Miles Xavier and what we do over here. Oh, and I can't go any further than, than giving a shout out to our boy Hassan on the ones and twos in the background working the production. That's uh couldn't do this thing without you. Big facts. Can't do this thing without you. There you go. There you go. We're gonna keep speaking that into existence. Um, and what we do over here on this show is give people carefully curated content for their cranium. My brother Miles and I are passionate about impact work. We're passionate about education and we're passionate about giving y'all some fly things to be able to, to sound smarter on your friends with. You know what I'm saying? But we do it all for one purpose, man. We do it because we understand that people are going through it. We understand that um, depression levels are super high. We understand that mental health is at an all-time low. We understand that people are really suffering from um, a lot of, of, of life's a lot of life's ups and downs. And we aim to be a positive space that people can come here, feel energized, feel informed. And we do that on a weekly, come on. A weekly basis, man. You know what I'm saying? Really a daily basis that it takes to curate this, if I'm really being real. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm always so appreciative of my brother and the work that it takes, the energy that it that he brings to this space. Uh, Exeter is in the building, for sure, by way of Johannesburg, through my brother over there. You already know what's going on this side. Chicago is in the building. This podcast is recorded on stolen land. This land belonged to the Potawatomi people. It was cared for by them, right? Looked after by them. Uh, and we're going to get into some some environmental topics today, too. So as much as ever, it's important to lift up the indigenous people that cared for this land uh, and to acknowledge that the violence that was done to remove them from this land is inseparable from the violence that we see in this city today, this country today in this world today, right? So always important to lift up love between black and brown people the world over. Uh, and I love that that's how we know that the intro's over. So, hey, let's get into the show. Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that. But is we live, though? Is we, like, all the way live, though? You heard? What we like to use our platform to do is to spotlight some of the people that are doing that good work, people that are based around community organization, being activists, and um, overall improving uh, the people that are the people that are in need within their communities. This particular week, Miles, there was some sad news with the flooding that happened in Durban, South Africa, in KZN, where over 300 people died. Um, it's it's 400 people is the last number that I, is the is the number that I heard last. Um, it's, it's quite sad. And so because of that, we want to be able to uh, spotlight Gift of the Givers. Um, and shout out to our boy uh, for putting this up right now. And we're looking at some of the images that uh, some of the images that, that that were occurring. You know, it's really sad to see. 
Yeah, man. It's it's a reminder to all of us that all of this, right? Safety, security, uh, you know, it's it's precarious, it's it's precious, right? Um I mean, so much of what we see in the news will show you that your situation could change overnight. Um, and so on that level, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude um, to know that, you know, you're safe. My people in South Africa are safe. Um, but I'm also overwhelmed with, with sadness for everybody who's really, really going through it um, because of this flooding. So it's always good to in these moments, you know, where you feel like ah, something's happening far away uh, and you don't know what to do to have an outlet to know to know that you can do something right. You can give your time. You can give your cash. You can give, uh, you know, you can you can help spread the word. You can help share information. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, and if you would like to donate, you can check out Gift of the Givers that we got right here on the screen, man. For sure. And when you want to be able to put into context what happened in Durban, if you've seen the favelas in Brazil and how those are built on, like, these very precarious slopes that are about, that are, subject to mudslides. Mudslides is also something that happens in favelas and in, in um, Venezuela as well, where you have these large amounts of people, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's always the, it's always the, the most destitute of people that end up being in those positions and like getting and being victims. So again, it was one of those instances where you had informal settlements on a, on, on unstable land, this this happens. It's, it's not the first time this happens um, in Durban, and that just um, it adds to the the sadness of it because nobody who has a choice would build a house on there, you know. So it's some of the the lowest of the low that are living in that area. But because of that, um, when when something like this happens, hundreds of them pass. Man, that's that's heavy. Um... And and never to, to 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 detract from the gravity of that, but when you say this isn't the first time that this has happened, um, when we have so many issues across the world that we can, you know, kind of that we can relate to this, right? That 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 look like this, that look like um, a lot of infrastructure destroyed, a lot of people's homes and households and lives destroyed. When this seems to happen in a lot of places all over the world, it can feel overwhelming. Um, and it's, I think we have to kind of make a shift that like, rather than being surprised and shocked and horrified every time something like this happens, I think we need to build into our life, like uh, a capacity to be like, yeah, tra like disasters and tragedies happen all over the world all the time. What is our you know, just built it in, bro. Just like we, just like we built in taking care of ourselves, just like we built in our professional lives. What is our global contribution life look like rather than trying to figure out, go into the closet and put on my environmentalist cape when something happens or go put on my racism cape or go put on my, you know what I mean? Well, how do, what does it look like to integrate a care for those things throughout our entire life so that, you know, we can still, we can grieve these things and be human in these circumstances, um, but also already kind of understand and know how we're going to move forward. You know what I mean? Um, in our own lives and what are channels of contributing to uh, efforts to, to help people are on the regular. Emphasis on regular. Emphasis on the regular. The difficult part about that, Miles, is that we're just in, this, in a time now where there's so much news 
that's happening on a regular basis that it's quite hard for us to even stop for a moment and be able to pick up on what actually matters, what doesn't matter. In Brooklyn this weekend, we also had a shooting on the on the on the subway, right? This this gentleman who he, he throws a, a gas canister in there. Luckily, last I read, there was no casualties that happened. When I took a trip down to when I took a trip down to Illinois on a bus, um, I remember particularly um, I had a panic attack on the bus. Right, I had a panic attack on this bus, and uh, granted, at the time, unbeknownst to me, Miles, um, <laughs> those <laughs> there were edibles that were way too strong that might have contributed to this panic attack. That being said, <laughs> you made it out the other side, though. You know, what I'm saying? I made it out on the other side, All and I wouldn't get nobody done that I wouldn't do myself. <laughs> <laughs> one one day we'll get into what happened when you did do it yourself. That's right. Yeah, it didn't go well for me either, but I was, but I did it. Listen, go ahead. <laughs> so I had, but that being said, though, I had this panic attack while I was in on a bus in the U.S. because I thought somebody might get up with a gun and start shooting. So something like that, seeing something like that happen in New York, is so personal. That's so personal. That's literally one of my fears and one of the things that make it difficult to want to live in the u.s is just that looming fear of like this society is actually kind of kind of crazy big facts is crazy big facts the society is in crisis right uh structurally and as we look around we starting to see things crumble that can't be fixed without uh removing things that we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what our lives look like without um but I want to go back to kind of what you said about like it being difficult to to make sense of what to pay attention to and what not to, because you're absolutely right. Uh, but I like to think that that's what we do. I like to think that people can think of the different spaces in their lives, like All The Way Live, right, that um, try to take in some of this information, try to process it allow you to connect with it on a human level so you can understand what resonates with you, what do you actually want to do something about, and then have channels, Mandula Foundation, right, to move through and to figure out, like, okay, that you trust, right? Trust that you can move whatever can advise you on, you know, where you might donate, where you might put in time, where you might put in effort, uh, communities around that. So you're not only getting it from one place, but I like to think that there are communities that that can support that issue and help people think through and parse through all of the different things that are happening and going on. We try to and make it look fly. You know what I'm saying? We, we definitely, definitely try to to make impact work look fly. We definitely try to make informa- information sharing look fly. Um, and one of the things that people do want to be able to know uh, about people that things that people want to make sense out of is these super high gas prices, bruh. <laughs> I'm hurt, bruh. <laughs> double double bruh episode. That should have been the episode. Bruh. Full stop. Bruh. I'm wounded, bruh. My pockets, man. 
my pockets. Listen, and I was thinking about copping the Jeep, you know what I'm saying? Pop them doors off right on Lakeshore, you know what I'm saying? South Shore, Stony Island, wilding with it. No, can't have no Jeep. Economic, I'm about to get a smart car. It's ridiculous out here, man. These gas prices is nuts, man. It's nuts. So, over time, uh, since the pandemic has happened, we've all woken up to uh, different realities of sorts, right? So much has changed over time. But one of the things that's sharply uh, becoming ridiculous is these gas prices. It is absolutely ridiculous how expensive petrol is. I'm fortunate right now that I'm relying on public transport. So quite frankly, I don't feel the pinch, but I hear it. (laughs) Yeah, y'all know where you hear it from. Hear it from me, (laughs) because I feel the pinch. I pinched. This is a literal picture that y'all see in now. Shout out to the YouTube audience of my gas. It's on E. I'm charging y'all for gas. As part, I'm charging the podcast for gas. Y'all didn't know that. I'm factored in. It's going to be part of the background. I need that on my payroll. You asked what's on my rider? Gas. Gas money. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Big facts. But like it's it's it's, it's wild, and, and we we thought it was necessary to bring this one to the podcast because this is one that that affects all of us, man. If, even if you're not paying for it at the pump as if because you're driving, somebody in your family might. Also, it drives up the prices of public transportation, drives up the prices of Ubers. Everybody take Uber. If you don't have Uber on your phone, I, I don't know what to tell you. It, it, it affects a lot of us. So I think it was important to bring this and really get into, like, why, though? At least tell me why. At least let me have some type of inkling as to why I'm paying so much for gas. Sway, why? Now there's a host of different reasons for why gas prices are so particularly high at the moment, and we've there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can Google in order to find us talking about that um, because you know we 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 have been exposed to that energy sector, right? And personally speaking. Um, I've I've had a cool experience of being able to be in some of the 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 inner workings of of how the oil and gas industry operates and and kind of why prices end up becoming like they do. Something that a mentor of mine in the oil and gas space uh, once said. He said everything about gas. He said everything about gas is. He said uh, no. So he said oil is about petrol. That's what he said. No, oil is politics. Oil is politics. Petrol is politics. Oil is politics, petrol is politics. And that actually makes up pretty much how um, the, the majority of the industry goes. What's important to understand is that there are two different parts of the oil industry. Uh, there is the side that is bringing it from the ground, and then there's the side that is taking it and giving it, putting it into your cars. So between where it comes from in the ground and when when it gets into your cars, there's a few, there's some important things that happen in between that. A lot of it, which is politics, that cause prices to either go up or go down. Dang. Supply, demand, politics. Okay, so politics like uh, Russia, right? That's what they're saying. That's what they keep telling me is that it's a war in Russia. That's why gas prices are high. How factual is that? Now, according to the Russia gas logs that I investigate now, okay, uh, <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> but it, it's it's important. What what is important to understand though is there was a heavy reliance on 
gas production from Russia. So you, the U.S. buys about 2 million barrels a day from Russia, essentially, right? And so one of the main... One of the main uh, buyers of Russian petroleum is also Germany, which relies heavily on it. Almost over forty percent of their of their gas I see comes from Russia. So when when we look at the impact of of the war on Russia, is that obviously obviously there was a lot of sanctions that happened, and uh, in order for Russia to utilize its petroleum industry and its gas production as a tool, they've been squeezing. And uh, they've been squeezing, essentially, the amount of production that they're doing, who they're selling to. They're being sanctioned on one end, which makes it very difficult to be able to sell product. So the the U.S. in particular and the world did rely on Russian gas. So now that it is being limited, that's part of the reason why we're seeing the super sharp increase in the prices. Mm. Mm. So back to supply. Russian invasion of Ukraine has limited the supply of gas a little bit. Um, and if you can't tell, my voice has gotten a little bit lower because now we're moving into the, the segment of the show where, you know, can we talk about where, if we can't get it from Ukraine or from Russia, where, where, where we else, who else might have that gas? You know what I'm saying? So what's been interesting is that Joe Biden now recently um, he recently mandated that the largest tap into the U.S. oil reserve should be opened up in order for gas prices to come down. What that also means is that now they're incentivizing gas uh, oil uh, drillers in order to utilize those fields and actually start producing more oil. So it's kind of at a place now where we've taken this great step forward in what we have thought of to be uh, a lead towards the greener side than you get this information with Joe Biden saying, unload the reserves, flood the market, flood the market, produce more. And the U.S. has gone to expedient, like very, very long lengths to 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 get their own, you know, market for oil going, um, including investing a lot in fracking, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, environmentally, when we're thinking about the transition to renewable energy sources, it's, it's a whole conversation in itself, but so yeah, we we we've got we've got our own domestic uh, supply and resources, but there's a third party in this man that uh, you know what I'm saying that that moves in the background and has a lot of control over what goes on, if you will. Definitely, and I was gonna be able to play some cartel music right now, so uh, just so we can get into our Godfather esque portion of the show when it comes to the people who are actually empowered with these things right now miles xavier i don't know if you know this but i went to the opec summit in 2020 and i was there um saw it happen live it was a fun it was an incredible experience actually met um his excellency um bakindo who is the deputy president of opec uh, Secretary General, sorry, the Secretary General of OPEC. Um, so I've, I've had a bit of experience being able to see how these things work, and it's actually super interesting. But in fact, it is true that um, the political decisions that are made there are all 
pretty much like war games almost. It's like who's sitting where, where, which seat are they sitting at? You know, having uh, which having them wait for which country is going to sit down at the table. How close are they with with the president? Are they sending the minister? Or are they sending the deputy? Um, how long are they in the meeting for? Whoa, whoa, whoa! See, see, see. This is when this is when the live ties. Right. This is when this is when you're speaking a coded language right now. You got to break it down for the people, man. This organization that operates, that dictates so much of the market, OPEC, the organization of the petroleum exporting countries. Tell us more. Precisely. So essentially, um, essentially following the Gulf War, there was a clear indication that oil prices are would run almost rampant if there wasn't a collection of the largest exporting oil companies countries to get together and live and almost balance out the type of oil prices that are at play. So what happens is that they get together and then they'll say, listen, these are the prices right now. This is what's happening in the market. Um, we all need to be able to band together at a certain price, at a certain production level. Um, and that's how we'll control the prices. What is unfair about the setup is that there are some countries, Allah, Saudi Arabia, uh, is that they have an ability to be able to produce these prices at a produce petrol at a much lower price. So they're in a position to be able to play hardball. And if the rest of the countries are in a place where they need a decrease in demand, um, they might be able to hold out. And something similar is playing right now, where you see a lot of these countries calling for an increase in the supply. Um, of, of petroleum, but they're saying they don't. They might not necessarily want to be able to take that because that might allow different entry points, more people to profit off of this. So even the people that are controlling it, these high prices, they also don't want them to get too high. It's all mind games. Yeah, the cartel, the cartel is pulling the strings. You know what I'm saying? And it's and we've seen it evolve, right? When the when the pandemic hit, everybody stopped going to work. You know, the demand for, for oil and gas goes way down. That hits their pockets. Now everybody coming back, they got long memories. The cartel has a long memory. You dig me? So they're not just about to let up. They said, everybody said, okay, we need this. We need that supply. It takes a long time for the market to, to ramp up and ramp down. So we they had to ramp down for the pandemic, adjust to that, that drop in demand. And now that the demand is up again, they squeezing. They see the market. They see what's going on with Russia. They squeezing. You know, they're not allowing more oil to go into the market. Cartel move. How the cartel move? And so we, I thought it was just important to bring OPEC to the forefront for people who are standing at the pump wondering why their gas is so high, right? Wondering what's really going on. I thought it was important to, you know, bring into the this, these supply and demand and these geopolitics, right? Appreciate you as our as our energy expert for for coming in and, and filling in, giving us some more additional information. Uh, it's still too high though. It's way <laughs> too high. There's no explaining that does not take away how high these prices of oil of gas actually are. It actually makes you have to reconsider the type of friends that you keep around and the type of people you want to see on the daily. It's like, yo, if you live too far, this relationship might actually not work out. You might have to, yeah, it might have to chill. Speaking of relationships not being too far, the U.S. got to be looking at that relationship with Canadian oil like, hey, buddy, 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think we import already like four million barrels from them a day, but we got we they they looking like if we go to if it, if if anything turns sour with Canada, the U.S. is looking struck. So what's difficult for us to have to accept when it comes to the oil conversation is realizing that in truth. Um, a sustainable future going forward is one where we're utilizing a fair amount of all of the resources that are available to us. Now, we've mined oil to a point where we've mined and burned it to a point where it's become detrimental to um, the environment. But to completely cancel it is kind of like saying defund the police, right? It makes sense for solving a particular issue. But when you look on the grander scale of things, they might, it might, uh, it might not necessarily be the answer to it because petroleum is in everything petroleum jelly is almost in everything uh, the byproduct of of oil is in so <laughs> ky k is a ky or kyc jelly Which i do not want to think about the police being in my petroleum jelly <laughs> that is too much that is petroleum too close that is you do not patrol me in that way that's messed up <laughs> i don't know if you meant to do that but but i but i but I, I hear you it's a long term there has to be so many things put in place for us to alleviate our reliance upon petroleum right and so when we think about solar when we think about you know uh wind energy when we think about all the alternatives that we have uh we have to think about our investment in those and our willingness to 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 speak to that investment through our own pockets and the things that we invest in, right? Um, not everybody's in the position to buy a an electric vehicle, um, but what are the ways in which that you can we can speak through our whatever political voice we have um, towards alleviating this reliance on uh, oil and and petroleum? If anything, this the 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 way that the oil prices are moving should indicate how politically tied the world is together, that you can have a war happen in Ukraine directly impact the price of, of, of oil around the world. And then when you take into consideration things like Russia is now selling that oil to India at a discount and selling that oil to China as a discount, who's then putting it back into the market at higher prices, um, it, it, it does then start to get into the place where you're hearing about all the corruption that usually happens and the fat cats getting fed. Um, it, it, it speaks, it speaks a lot more towards what people hate about that, about the, about the oil and gas industry. Man. And even if it is, uh, we've spoken already a lot throughout this episode about, um, how overwhelming it is, all of the different things that are going on, all of the different moving parts that affect, these issues that affect our pockets, right? Like you brought into so many different areas of, of geopolitics that are putting pressure on, on gas prices. We could even go to diplomacy with Iran failing, right? Like we could go to so many different things. To me, it helps to have these conversations and to start to put a, put together a picture of the world um, that makes sense. And there's actually fewer things going on to me in my brain, when I understand the connection between the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what's happening with my gas prices, then when I just see them as two different separate things. So I appreciate you for kind of helping us make the connection to those today. For sure. And there's nothing like going to these OPEC, uh, these OPEC meetings. Like I was telling you, brother, the, the, the level of, the level of, uh, 
chess, mental chess that is being played is is very high. It's very high all the way down to all, all the way down to uh, what is being said, what isn't being said. Yeah, folks, uh, you know, giving the whisper on the side and then making decisions on the table. It's it's, it's quite intriguing and, and interesting to see. But it, that is literally how the the prices of oil are determined to a large extent. Yeah, nah, no doubt. They see and they see it coming too. They see the energy transition coming. That's another reason for the squeezing. You know what I'm saying? That's they saying, hey, we got they trying to get their bread while they can. You know what I mean? They see this, they couldn't get it during the pandemic, not how they wanted to. Now they see what the future is and they see, you know, Elon Musk, they they must be mad as a mug, boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be interesting. It affects the stock market, too. Crazy. I know you know a little bit about that. Definitely impacts stock market. Uh, on that point, uh, tis the season for wallet squeezing is my contribution for is my contribution for the episode of the day. <laughs> tis for the sure. season for wallet squeezing. Yeah, we got an abundance of titles, really. When it's hitting, when it's really clicking, we got an abundance of titles <laughs> that we stay coming up with, yo. Definitely. And as on that point, as you were saying about the stock prices, there are some interesting things that are happening on the stock prices when it comes to uh, oil futures and their impact on the rest of the energy market. Um, what is happening is that fistfuls of money are definitely being made at the moment at these premiums. The U.S. is about to um, begin pro- uh, getting into a place where they're producing more oil than they have in um, the last two years, based on what Biden is saying, which is kind of opposite what they came in with regarding green energy. Um, what he calls it is a wartime uh, bridge to just get over a wartime bridge, but something about exceptions always tend to make a very specific handful of people very wealthy in the U.S. Big facts. Big facts. <laughs> Join us next time to figure out how to get your hands on some of that cash. But you know who's not getting their hands on some of that cash? Bruh. Teachers. So here we are again. What's happening, world? Um, the future, our future is being undermined again. And this time <laughs> it's happening because the man is chasing teachers away from schools. So a report recently came out that said nearly half of teachers plan to quit by 2027. Miles, what does this mean? Um, it's gonna, it means it's going to be a whole bunch of little dumb motherfuckers running around. Yeah, Miles, my mom watches the show. So, um, what we gonna do without our teachers, man? For real, it's like it's it's crazy. Like shout out, shout out to uh, shout out to Miss Ginsburg, shout out to Miss Linda, man. Like some of the most fundamental people in my life have been have been teachers, and we I've never felt like even as a kid I had like this vague understanding that we don't that teachers don't get the respect that equates to the responsibility that we entrust them with. You feel at all at all. So much so that there is a 20% difference in how much teachers are getting paid compared to uh, people who are educated at the same level. 
It's jacked up. And so as a result of low pay, uh, as a result of a lack of work-life balance, like (laughs) a lot of people, I think, because teachers, at least in the U.S., get summers off, feel like teaching is easy, right? Uh, Not knowing that folks are working throughout the summer to compensate that pay, uh, not knowing that throughout the school year, that having to grade all of these little kids' papers is like this. This is this is heavy, bro. And and to have to deal with parents, to have to invest in each of these kids, I'm telling you, it's 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 nuts, man. I have a, a whole bunch of homies that are that are teachers that will that will really let you know. And dealing with the youth on the ground in the community, it's it's a whole it's a whole task to provide the appropriate amount of care, right? So with all of that weight. Half of England's teachers said that they they plan to quit in the next year. A fourth of teachers in Texas are likely to leave as of 2021. This is a global issue. You know what I'm saying? Like retention for new teachers in in the United States is under 40%, which means after one year, they're not really staying like that. That's nuts. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's that's almost uh uh, the the prison retention rate high, bruh. In researching this, I'm looking through video after video, article, blog post after blog post of teachers that are saying that they're that they're fed up and that are coming to the table with the with the same story of pressure from administration to to uh get students prepare students and teach to tests um to as they eliminate services that the school provides uh not prioritizing the safety of teachers and classrooms like to the point where i'm looking through this stuff i'm seeing students walked out imagine how upset the students got to be that the teachers coming in (laughs) haggard just (laughs) just (laughs) you know what i'm saying just just not just not with it just (laughs) tired you know what i'm saying all right kids teachers for the students to be like all right we walking out (laughs) Mr. Johnson (laughs) can't take it anymore. (laughs) He slumped over his desk. (laughs) He gave us all B pluses. We know we cheated. (laughs) (laughs) We know we cheated. (laughs) It's sad, but it's true because a lot of teachers, um, a lot of teachers do take on more roles than being a teacher. They are a counselor for students. They are a father and a mother for some students. They're checking on students' well-being. They're therapists for students. Um, A lot of, a lot of, Kids come from very difficult situations at home, and school is the only is the only place where they can get away from it. And each teacher tries to take on a kid on a person-to-person basis. My mom was a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. Um, I remember staying up late, helping my mother grade uh, grade books into the night, uh, grade papers into the night, you know? And um, I remember her uh, picking up some of these um, some of the kids and bringing them to the house and feeding them and extending an arm over towards them so much so that some some of them right now still call her mom you know all to say that a teacher's heart and somebody that goes into this field is usually very open to very open and sympathetic to the people that they're teaching and so when teachers are leaving it's not because the teachers don't care anymore it means that something is pushing them out of it and what uh, something you highlighted miles is the fact that these teachers are saying that they just burnt out they're saying they're tired. They're, they're burnt out from the system. Word. Word. And so some of the things that 
we can think about, as you mentioned, teachers end up playing so many roles, right? The role of a, of a social worker, of a mentor. Um, we can think about other specialty staff that can be implemented into schools, like mental health professionals, right? Counselors, different people that can help address behavioral issues and take that burden off of teachers. Uh, it's... I just, I just, I just feel for him, man. I feel for him, especially in the context of, of COVID, especially in the context of like, just, just imagine, imagine coming to class, right? And you're, you're trying to connect with, you're trying to connect with students, especially when we talk about students from a lower social economic class, when we talk about students that have other issues going on and you have a connection to this student, you're trying to teach them something they have so many issues that they have to deal with that they shouldn't have to deal with as a kid. How are you supposed to connect with that person and, and to teach them? Now you now put that person in a position of being burnt out and to the point where they have to leave. Now think about the student's experience, right? They see a, a, a revolving door of teachers. None of them, even the ones that really do care, are pushed out of the system, don't have an opportunity to connect with them. Right. How are they supposed to feel like they have any type of support system? Schools are for most people, their first interaction with the state, the first interaction with the structural institution. What type of experience are we giving them when we when we treat the people that we put in charge and we put kids in their care like they're not professionals? We don't treat them like doctors. We don't treat them like lawyers. No, no. And we don't. It's hard not to look at that from a uh, payment, uh, a gender pay gap, right? And which is something that we explored on this show before, which is that predominantly, at least in the U.S., the U.S. school system over 100 years, uh, the school system started in 100 years and before that was being taught by men. And the premise under which it was switched and then became largely a female-dominated industry was um, an incentive that it was going to be paid less, right? So it was an opportunity for women to enter to the workforce paid at a discounted rate. So once over that time, that's why we have seen a, a prevalence in uh, a prevalence in schools and teachers being underpaid so so heavily, you know, because it, it is ingrained in that. And still, even now, uh, you have a majority of people who are in the teaching field, uh, predominantly women. So it, it goes it goes back to ask us about I right, what are we going to do? Understanding that now, us not paying these people enough, and the way that the 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 school organized system is treating these people is making them leave. What happens? What happens to the kids that can't do online schooling? What happens to the kids that do not have access to, to internet and things like that? Word. Word. And in some places, you hope that there are community safety nets for those kids, but in a lot of places, there aren't, right? So we try to be that. Um, and then and then the direct, I guess, conversation about teachers, I think there's a through line of right organizing right and organizing is everything from understanding issues acknowledging the different issues that put people at risk especially that place youth at risk right and forming systems and structures against them one such structure right that has served at least in, in the city of chicago the teachers is the chicago teachers union uh referencing back to our, our last episode about amazon's first union shout out to them boys in new york uh, and it's a it's a 
tool, right? It's a it's a system. It's a community of teachers that have gotten together to negotiate on their own behalf. Uh, and to keep it a whole being, they've been giving the, the Chicago Public Schools Department hell. You know what I mean? Especially through COVID, advocating on behalf of teachers, uh, walking out, shutting school down when they didn't want to return to classes. Uh, that's power. Now, it's, it's controversial. And, and, and you know, there's always going to be parents that need their kids in school when teachers are trying to pull out and trying to negotiate. Um, there's always going to be different issues and areas of conflict. But being able to organize, being able to to bring people together um, and negotiate on the behalf of everybody that has, if you have the kids in mind, this is one of those tools. So I encourage people to look again more into unionizing, more into these different ways that you can form structures um, to give people a voice. Shout out to our producer putting pulling these uh, pictures up for us to be able to check out, man. Um, giving context and imagery to what it is we're discussing, and it's it's you're right, Miles. You're right. It's uh we're not necessarily seeing and looking at our teachers the way that that we're supposed to. I don't. When you realize just how much things have changed since COVID, uh, recently hearing about the cost of living crisis that's happening, right? Cost of living crisis, which means that there's an increase in the price of gas, there's an increase in interest, and there's an increase in consumer goods all at the same time, which is happening across the board. Added to the fact that over COVID, uh, since COVID, since uh, May of 2020, double the people in poverty, right? There's been a double in the people that have been led to poverty from 250 million to 500 million people that are now uh, in abject poverty. And a double increase in that. So, and then also the the, the, the wealth inequality gap has also increased twice fold. So it really has been, we've, we've been shot into this wild fast forwarding of, of events that are happening and it has spat out those at the bottom in a way worse place than they are and those at the top in a better position that they are. Um, there's 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 uh, there's pros and cons on each. There's no pros about actually the bottom getting spat out. But uh, all, to, all to say that even with the teaching situation, it's going to be the kids that it's not going to be the, the, the wealthy uh, neighborhoods that feel this impact on teachers leaving because they're getting compensated and whatever the case is, is the people at the bottom. And I think it kind of speaks to what we're seeing post COVID. Man, it's yeah. We we've talked a lot this episode, man. I wish I remembered your contribution. Exactly. Uh, the season of wallet squeezing. Is that what you said? Just the season of wallet squeezing. Yo, the squeeze coming from all directions, big facts, like come from the gas prices, it's come from the prices of food. I have never been more loyal to Aldi, bro. Ain't no more cute little grocery store visits through the Mariano's or the big, the Kroger, none of that, where it's, oh, look at all these aisles and stuff. Nah, we strictly Aldi, shopping out the boxes. We got our, we put a quarter to get the cart. What you know about that? We really saving cash on this. Like, it's serious out here, trying to keep these bills down, man. And it's, it's rough. It's rough for people. Like, more, there's more speed traps and speed cameras out here in the streets than ever. The, not only are people broke, the city's broke. So the city's trying to get their money up, running up tickets on people. You know what I mean? People are, people are hurting. People are in are in tough positions, and it's it's we're we're reaching we're reaching a point where where something's got to give. So I think our voice in this space is always towards 
organizing towards community resources, but people are getting desperate out here. And we're going to see that evolve into a, a lot, a lot of different behaviors that are detrimental to us. Right. So rather than looking shocked when we see what people do, when, when their back is against the wall, we got to start thinking about how we can move around, you know? For sure. And we have some from the comments, man. Shout out to Johnny joining us on the comments. We appreciate that. This is an open conversation. Everybody jump on in. Um, question is, is there a link between the do- the double of poverty against the double, the wealth gained by those at the top? It, it is, it is. Um, and, and that's the correlation. In the similar amount of time that we've seen a double in poverty, the most amount of billionaires have been created during the pandemic time. Um, that speaks to an unprecedented level of the new, the types of wealth that have been created. Also, it's largely brought on by the fact that the largest cash injection was done over, um, was done over the COVID period, right? Where banks were just printing, printing, printing money out. So it's ironic that the time where most of the money is being printed out, there's also an increase in the people in poverty. And that link is also... Uh, legislation is a huge part of that link, right? It's not a coincidence that the bills and the pieces of paper, these political instruments that dictate the rules and lack thereof that companies have to abide by are made super complicated for the average person, um, the less than higher educated person to understand. And so as we're going through this pandemic, as we're going through all of this stuff, these legislators are passing through the political process all of these legislations that make life harder for us as people and make life easier for corporations to operate, make it easier for corporations to exploit workers. And as individuals, we have less and less of a voice. If you just look at the political... Let me speak just about the U.S. If you just look at the way that tax breaks are laid out for corporations versus individuals, you can see whose health is prioritized, right? Uh, and I love I love that the, I'm being served alley-oops right here by the comment section. If we can't rely on the government to intervene, then who do we look towards? We look towards ourselves. We look towards, hold up, we look towards these government knows it's exploiting us, right? So it does all of this stuff behind the scenes and it passes this legislation and in our face, it says, we're going to put in all of these opportunities for people to get grants and to get money to do all these experimental things. And we're going to put money into, you know, um, all these systems of community support. We have to hold them accountable to that. And it's our responsibility to actually put our effort and time into that, right? We have to form coalitions of people that are about people, right? And build from there rather than just deciding, okay, well, we just going to get our own money and participate in the system, right? We have to form our own groups. My bad, I'm, I'm dominating the conversation, but wanted to get forming in on our, that. Forming our own groups and taking care of our mental health. I do not, it, it's sad to see teachers walk away, but if the teachers are walking away from this job because they're claiming it is bad for their mental health, which is the story that we hear across the board, then by all means, protect your mental health, right? By absolutely all means. And one way that is even possible for that is to air out your grievances finding a place where you can actually um, express what is happening in that company. Yeah, solidarity, right? So one such place is Blind, right? It's this new app that's basically the the evil twin of LinkedIn, 
right? So it's where people come specifically to not only air workplace grievances, though there is a lot of that going on, also to have conversations about things like unionizing, about things like documenting issues and finding ways to hold their own um, administration accountable, right? And so this is exactly this is exactly the type of thing that we need to we need to lean into is right figuring out where are the people that are about what we're about where are the people that see the possibilities in what we can build right that's what we're constantly told we can't do it without the government we can't do it without their structure we can't do it without like nah get you a Zway get you a Hassan. Listen to the All The Way Live podcast and get on your grind. You know what I'm saying? We can And, and figure out, find your community. Um, this is one such space. Find that space and believe in yourselves. I tell you what. I tell you what. Corporate is lucky that this blind thing came out after I quit the corporate life because I would have been lighting up those messages, boy. Going off. Going off. I would have been lighting off. those messages. They would have heard They would have known it was coming from me. I would have said by, side by way. <laughs> Big facts, big facts, man. And it's, 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 I, I actually just want to jump. I'm not even in corporate. I want to jump in this just to see the type of stuff that's going on, man. I'm, I'm inspired by collectives and I'm inspired by the type of ingenuity. They're going to try and shut it down. I know. I bet you one thing, I bet you they better not catch you on blind at Amazon. You better not be on the <laughs> clock at Tesla with blind on your phone. You better not. <laughs> you better not. Find you, you find yourself holding a find yourself holding a poster card protesting in rightful. Or I, I tell you what, you better not you better not camp out at your office space and write on blind that you're doing it either. That does not count as a protest. <laughs> this, hey man, we we not the gatekeepers for protests. We are we are grateful for our audience, man. I appreciate the comment section. It's all love, baby. Uh, I fucks with y'all heavy, man. Where we at what with we, it? You know the the people's favorite part of this show, damn it. They want a specific thing that we do, and we are going to give it to them. We got double the reviewing to do. So much music. So much music. How I forget about the double review, man. Let's get it. Yeah, with it, man. Listen, we know, we know it's been it's been a lot of fire that's been coming out. Um, we've been trying to make balance between reviewing some of the important content films. Check out that Rothaniel review. You know what I'm saying? Uh, check out that that uh, bust down review. Uh, but we had to get back to the music. Had to get back to the hip hop. Had to give y'all a heaping helping with that hard stuff, though. Seven two twenty. <laughs> Seventy two twenty. Seventy two twenty by Dirkio. Um man. Uh Mr. Miles Xavier, you are local Chicago representative. You are local Chicago baby. You are our uh, correspondent. What does this album mean for the streets? This is a win from the perspective of somebody that so many people can identify with um, maturing in the game. And as we know all too well, not everybody gets there, right? This is an artist. Dirk has had time to experiment, 
um, to be loved with what he's putting out, to be hated with what he's putting out, and to come to really have carved out a true space of his own identity in the game, right? Like, this is this album, for me, is no matter what style of Dirk you like, there's songs that you won't even like that you got to respect. This is this is another level for him to me. What I enjoy most about Dirk on this album and the progression that you see with him is that he's he his vulnerability, bro. His vulnerability and every time you listen to Dirk, whether it's on Voice of the Heroes or you hear him on a feature, he's he's pushing the the vulnerability aspect of it. Regardless of what you can say about Dirk is uh, about his different bags, he pushes that vulnerability aspect of it. And, and it, re- it is very reminiscent of a future. But if I'm listening to like the first song started from um, telling that whole story about what it's like to grow up um, impoverished in Chicago, what that feels like, having to uh, not be able to have food, sharing clothes, sleeping on the floor, uh, having that be your first your your first single off of this album too, just says so much about his confidence in his content and what he's able to give. And it's, it's quite frankly, very dope. It's super dope. It's super dope. And it's, it's a, Dirk has his own sons now in the industry, right? He has his own people that are following him in, in, in this lane. And it's really dope to see him like hone his craft to the point where I could hear in his songs that like, even if you remove the auto tune, it sound better now. You feel me? Like he he knows what he's doing, putting together hooks. He knows what he's doing, crafting an experience for people. Um, and everything from the sequencing of this album is the best I think he's ever done. Right to move from started from to head taps, uh, and then to go to aha. I think no. I think just shows a, a thoughtfulness about the listening experience that it's a maturity in the game. Um, then you skip down the track list to something like what happened to Virgil. And when I was looking at that track, I was like, man, what is this? What is, what is this perspective? Speaking on the dead is always, you know, uh, it's, it's ways to do and not to do that to, to be able to take a subject like that and, and craft lessons for the streets from it. I like one it. off of that. What happened to Virgil and where you see how, how dark is really, we see how Dirk really understands how well he does what he does at the beginning of that song. He's like, watch, watch this. You know, he's like, watch this is, watch this hook. Like, watch me put this thing together. They're going to love this. I think that's the exact words. He goes, oh, they're going to love this. And then he gets that hook and lo and behold, it, go- it becomes viral very quickly. So even from the perspective of having, of being able to be catchy, of being able to be relevant with the sounds and saying, uh, being able to say something that you can repeat a lot. I think uh, he outdoes, he outdoes himself on, on this album. Dirk's just been on such a consistent tear. Even when he jumps into his R&B bag, the feature that he has on, on Summer Walker's album. Versatility, dude. The versatility is, is quite crazy. And the more you look at it, you think to yourself, could Dirk become the next thug? I heard a lot of thug on this album. I heard a lot of thug on this album. And I don't, I don't even want to put that on him. I think he can go... I think I think Dirk is gonna carve out something that we haven't never seen before, and it's and it might not be the flashiest thing in the world, but I think he can, he's gonna continue to carve out a unique space in the game. Um, and it seems like with not a lot of concern for what other people are doing, 
the drill movement is at the at the height of the drill movement. My man took a left turn and started going super melodic, right? Like this this is clearly somebody who understands and has their own creative direction and I'm I'm following him. I'm interested to see where he's going next. I've slowly gone from somebody who appreciated Dirk as part of the landscape to somebody who's actively looking forward to his next projects. Um, some of his favorites for me, the They Forgot mixtape, uh, uh, Signs of the Streets 3. Uh, like, there's some... I'm, I'm more and more on board. Um, off of some of the mixtapes that we've enjoyed... Uh, definitely OTF, the OTF series. I'm looking at the comments. Correction, pretty sure that's Vaughn at the begin, beginning saying they're going to love this. That's true. That's true. Thanks for the correction on that point. Um, some of the standouts on this album, AHA, for sure, started from... Uh, started from uh, what happened to Virgil is dope. Uh, Dior, love Dior Banks. I thought it was really, really cool. Uh, please be sure to let us know in the comments whichever track on this album that you did dig. Um, I'm, I'm really, really... I, I'm finding myself going back to this album more so than than a lot of other ones for the one for the tracks that I like. One thing for sure is that this this dude is in pain. Word, word, man. Um, and some of those songs are some of my favorites. Head taps, smoking and thinking. Um, yeah, it's a uh, petty it's, two. No interviews. Petty two is a great example of like this man knows how to take a concept and deliver deliver on a concept now too. Like it's 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 different. It's different. And I love the experiment with Broadway girls is, is this just funny to me. It's funny. It just shows that he's comfortable and he's again just not concerned with anybody else thinks of his creative direction. Um Blocklist, another dope concept track. This is this is fire. I get us a four out of five to me. Um and excited for everything Dark Guy coming next. You know what it is, four out of five, four out of five for the Dirk review. And if you want to see some of our other reviews, go ahead and check up review playlists on YouTube. We got all of our music reviews on there. We got all of our uh, movie reviews on there. We do it because people love that. That's the part of the show that has the most amount of views. So as long as y'all looking, we'll keep on cooking. I'm going to just let that breathe. I'm going to just... <laughs> Something else that needs to be that that needs to be let breathe. I feel like you're about to get into. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Speaking of things that we that we love, that we like, that we enjoy a great deal, uh, man, things that we feel. Last ones left. Forty two Doug and ESTG. You, Miles Xavier, Miles Xavier. Sometimes you'll be enjoying a lovely day. And out of nowhere, the hip-hop gods will come down and deliver you with an album that it knows you're going to love. And for that, we thank God for hip-hop. Oh, big facts. Big facts. Now, I did that thing with this one. You know, when when knowing it's something special, something you wasn't expecting, something that you know that you're going to like, you kind of hold off. You wait for the right. I didn't go straight to it. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, this. I'm going to wait to the right time. When I'm in my bag, when I got one roll, this one delivered, man. This one, I, I, I was, I heard, I, I heard a little bit from you that you that it was that it was right, that it was like that. It's really like that. These are some of the most two of the hottest, and I think "hot" is the right word to describe them. Right, of all the things that you can be in the game, they are the hottest right now. Putting music out, Fortune. you know what I mean. 
Um, we don't gotta go to the forty-two versus ESTG conversation. We can enjoy them as as brothers for a second before we before we go there. Um, I think that this is they complement each other really well. I think this is they they have very different styles, but they they deliver on over this this hard instrumentation really really well, and they just have they both each have something more interesting to say about gangster shit than the average rapper, which is a skill on its own, which is a whole skill on its own, um, and I think what attracts us to gangster rap a lot of the times is the ability to relate towards what is being explained when ice cube talks about today was a good day that is a a large a a big relatability element to it and so not to be an old head about it but like jumping down into into what we liked about four two and what we liked about uh g is that there's always been that relatability when especially when you drop that uh that that special that we heard ESTG come up with before and just seeing how everybody just was able to catch on to that and repeat it. It speaks to the fact that these guys clearly know how to be able to make music that people enjoy. And so when I see a pairing of this sort, it speaks to the genius and the brilliance that is Yo Gotti. Word, word. Yeah, the label's going crazy. Um, And it's just a... Yeah, you never know when these type of collaborations are going to work. When I'm mid-listening to this, I texted you and I was like, bruh, this might be one of the hottest, you know, pairings that we've seen in a minute. And we we referenced uh, Pooh Shiesty and Big 30. We referenced Dirk and Vaughn. It's been a lot of pairings, right? Uh, Dirk and Baby. Um, and I'll put these, I'll put this album, especially as a project, being able to deliver on that pairing up there with a lot of the collab albums we've gotten recently. Yeah, over Mozzie, Gunplay, even. I mean, what, and this is what you want to see. You want to see the hottest people making music together in this way, you know. Um, I, I, I've said Drake and Future, that was shot down very, very quickly. Uh, but I could see how this could be considered, could be considered um, a, a stronger offering, man. What the good thing, of, the, the great thing about this particular piece from these two, like you said, the styles are different, but you're able to enjoy both of their styles together at the same time, and they bounce off of each other so well. Um, I think this, I think this playlist is put together quite fantastically in the in in the pacing of it. I, I enjoy the way that it's it's even sequenced is the word the sequencing of it the audio experience of it is so specific and it just slaps so hard yeah and that's the thing about being really like truly hot right is that not a lot of a lot of artists are hungry and are able to catch a vibe off of being hungry and that hunger translates um and they catch one but to be able to catch one and i'm thinking of 42 with a we paid right like to uh and to be able to continue to take that energy and create tracks that sound different, right? I didn't really get ear fatigue listening to this and to the extent that I thought I would with, you know, two guys that make a very particular type of music. To be able to make tracks that sound different, to not run out of content, to not run out of different types of ways to approach a track, different pockets to find, different flows, that speaks to a longevity in the game that I, that I hope that they're able to maintain. Um I really appreciate it. Like Ice Talk, I love the 
the, even the beats are creative. The spacing, the moments of silence, man. I went from uh, Ice Talk, Spin, Scratch Some, uh, All Hunnets, uh, Everybody Shooters 2, uh, man, Never Scared. Uh, there's some, there's some, there's some heat here, man. All, yeah, I'll heat. say All Hunnets, man. Just but, me. I was go ahead, go ahead. I was 13 songs in before I even pressed skip. That I was like, this is absolutely insane. And ran it back again from the top just to continue listening to how each song, literally from track one to track 13, um, is is pretty strong. That my youngin is is so strong. Free Zuski, uh hearing from Big 30, Free the Shiners, Spin, Never Judge You, I Talk, Dumb Shit, all dumb hard. Yeah, so now, whew, I held off. Now, Doug versus ESTG. And I ain't even gonna make a case, really, for who I think is harder or who I think is better. I'm gonna tell you something that's even more controversial. Hold on. It sounds to me like you're taking me to homie court and we want to try something where you take somebody to homie court. All right. All rise. <laughs> that Judge Mathis music up out of here. <laughs> Come on, I was rolling with the punches. I'm rolling roll with you. I'm rolling with you. All right, so get that Judge Mathis music out of here. <laughs> but uh yo, I think the reason why ESTG like there's something about ESCG style that I really, really like, but I think realizing that to me, to me, there's a lot of Sada Baby there. Help me understand why I'm like, oh, that's why it don't hit. Like, Doug seems like original. When I think of Doug, I think of Doug, like his voice, his style. When I think of ESTG, I'm like, he doesn't, ha- he doesn't, why doesn't he feel as original to me? And it's because when he really in his bag, there's a lot of Sada Baby there. The question in hip-hop that we ask all the time, is it about who did it best or about who did it first? And if we have to take on that portion of hip-hop, I can see the side of baby influences, but I don't think they are as... Uh, I, I don't, they're not as distracting, uh, you know? It's just not like I'm listening to Baby Keem and clearly hearing Kendrick. It's not like that. I think it's a, a little bit more distant than that. <clears throat> What I will say uh, is that there are part, there are times where Doug's Doug's delivery and his tone can be off putting to me. Where I it's um it's it's an acquired ear sort of sort of elements, and I get that a lot with Future as well when he gets into his super melodic bag. Even with uh, Dirk, uh, Tbh is uh, when things get to the melodic. When they take him super melodic, it becomes a bit uh, difficult for me to listen to. And I think what I enjoy from G is that there's not a lot of there's not a lot of that. Yeah, I feel I feel you. I feel like that could be polarizing, and I feel like that's what I really I really like that aspect of of Doug. I really think he approaches tracks in a way that other people wouldn't approach him, and I think he leans into that drawl of his voice and like allows it to give tracks a little bit of edge um that just when it hits psh, that's it. that's it for me i feel him that much more um 
this one is hard to even like put a put a score on, man. Like for 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 what it is, I'm I'm at four four point five. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm at a I'm at a five for it. No, I'm not even gonna hold you. I'm gonna no slap a whole. I'm gonna slap a whole five on this official review, man. This to me is one of my favorite playlist, favorite mixtape that will come out for my two favorites, and they deliver on it. We gonna need a. CMG group project. They got Mozzie over there. They got these two. What I was disappointed in in this album, actually, that I wanted to say, um, no Black Youngster. How is there no Black Youngster on this album? How is there also no Yo Gotti on this album? You know, I found that to be quite peculiar. The Yo Gotti one, I can, I, I could maybe there's a deluxe coming. Maybe they, maybe there's a deluxe, and we'll get that. I hope so. I hope so. The other thing that I might add to it is this felt like it was both of them in the studio together. And so maybe it was an on-site thing. And if it wasn't like, we're going to send you this beat, you get to it where you ever you at. Maybe it was you either, we're doing it with who's here. <laughs> we're getting it done. Because I did get that. I did get that vibe. I didn't get a sent back and forth. I felt like they were really writing these in the studio. That's me. Um so man, maybe it's that. Maybe it's that. Put it on that. Last one's left. I'm this one's steady in rotation. We know it's been a lot of music that's been coming out. We gotta feed the live nation, man. Uh, we definitely coming back. What we got next week? We doing another double, right? We're doing another double, and we'd like for y'all to be able to please let us know exactly what you want us to talk about. So hit us up on the DMs, comment on some of the stories that you see us posting up. Uh, we've seen that the community is growing. We know, shout out to our listeners on the SoundCloud stage. We see y'all clicking in. We appreciate y'all. Everyone that speaks to us outside of this podcast about the work that we're doing. Man, nothing feels, you know, that feels, that's such a particularly good feeling when people get to, you know, speak about what you have spoken about and extending the conversation past that. Um, the family is, the, the, the Lighthouse family is growing. Yes, sir. Speaking of extending the conversation, extending the conversation, speaking of the Lighthouse family growing, please like, comment. Hit that subscribe button for a player one time. You know what I mean? Just hit that, just, just ding that one time for a player. You know what I'm saying? We appreciate that. Um, seven five, man. Seven five. Seven That's five. Crazy. We know. Yeah, man. We know. We know. Y'all could be anywhere in the world, but you here rocking with us, man. If you're hearing the soulful, sultry sounds of chestnut tones, that's my brother over there. <laughs> Hello. That's Big Benny's way. And on this side, you know what it is. It's Young Hayes. Hayes on the tones. Miles and Xavier, I'm in the building letting you know that this is a celebration of celebrating. This is a celebration of life. This is a celebration of how good it feels to be black. Don't it feel good, Zway? Double blacked out. Yes, sir. The black album. And we hope it feels good to be you. We hope you find a dope album to put on and enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon. Happy Easter. You know what I'm saying? Eat something with the fam. Hang out. Do y'all thing, man. It's all love, baby. Um, eat something delicious. Host somebody you love. Like that. Peace. Water. We gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. But is we live, though? Is we, like, all...